uh, this morning. So good to see all of you, by the way. Um, this morning, I'm going to ask for some, for some, a little bit of grace, grace and a little bit of patience from all of you. Originally, today, we were going to do a, the sermon in the normal sermon series. And then as you got in the announcement of the last several weeks, we have a, a members meeting at the end that was going to be from like 1115 to, to noon. And so, um, so we were going to do the sermon in Revelation, close the service, you know, have a little bit of a break and then start the, the members meeting. And, um, but there was going to be a great deal of teaching. I wanted to kind of make sure that we knew going into the meeting. And as I was thinking of the teaching uh, for the meeting and I was compiling the notes for it, it was um, nine of my little half page sheets of notes. So it was really long and like there was no way you were going to eat today if, I, if they, we did that. Uh, so I thought it would be better if we would um, pause on the revelation thing and I would just do the teaching as a sermon. And then we would kind of do a short break, then go into the um, into the uh, member meeting. So uh, if that's OK with you, I didn't get your approval first. Uh, so I'm asking for some grace and some patience here. Um, the teaching today is, I think, will still be beneficial for us and will be edifying for us because it is it is God's word. And um, I think it will be uh, great for us to hear and to learn. And um, and I did ask formally several people um, about the topic of the, the sermon. And uh, a lot of people said, you know, I've never really heard an ex. Well. Not all of them. One of them said, yes, I have heard this. But uh, but many said, I've not heard like a full exposition uh, of this. And so um, so I thought it might be good for us to do that uh, today. And so the member meeting has to do with elders. Uh, the message today will explore what the Bible has to teach about elders and uh, what is basically what is eldership in the Bible and why is it important? And so our scripture reading today is going to be Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 38. So I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 20 and 1 Peter chapter 5, the first four verses of that chapter. So Acts 20, 17 through 38 and 1 Peter 5. And so I'll pray and then we'll read the passage and then we'll jump into the teaching this morning. God, as we come now and have our eyes uh, on your word and our ears attuned to what you would have to say to us, uh, God, we'd ask that you would speak to us. Um, God, we'd ask that that this, uh, because it is your word, that it would it is used by you. It is useful and profitable for teaching and correcting and training and righteousness that we would be equipped to do every good work. And so even though it may be describing um, a, a role or an office in the church that, that maybe many of us will, um, that maybe not directly apply to us, God, we, we know that it does apply to us because we're part of your church. And you have ordered your church in this way. And so, God, we ask that you would um, use this word of yours to, to teach, to instruct us and, um, and build us up individually and build us up as, as a church body. And so we ask that you help us to understand and to heed and believe your word. And this we pray in Jesus name and all God's people said, amen. Acts chapter 20, verses 17 and this is uh, the book of Acts is recording the the movement and the spread of the Christian gospel throughout the Roman Empire. It's written by Luke and it's the latter half of it is dealing mostly with the the works of the Apostle Paul. And so here it's describing the uh, the Apostle Paul. Verse 17. Now from Miletus, he that is the Apostle Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, 
serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom of God will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Now, First Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is the word of God. Thanks. So this morning we're going to be looking at this question of eldership in the Bible. What is it and why is it important? And to do so, I think it's helpful for us to remind ourselves of what the church is. And as you can follow along in your handout there, too, I, I left you a lot of scripture verses to, to look up on your own. We won't cover every single one of those verses today. We won't turn to every single one. Uh, but I have them there for your reference and I encourage you to look at those. But it's helpful to remind ourselves a little bit of what the church is and that the Bible gives multiple metaphors for uh, what the church is. Because in order to understand what the elders of the church is, we need it's helpful to understand what the, the church is. And what is the church? The church is uh, the people of God. You can see that in Hebrews 4 in your notes. It is described as the household of God or a family. It's the family of God. The church is the pillar and foundation of truth. It's the body of Christ. The church is one new humanity or one new man in Christ. And this one being one of my favorite, it's the dwelling place of God's spirit. The temple of the Lord. So it's the temple, 
served in the Old Testament as the meeting place of God and man. Um, he, in the New Testament, in several places, it describes the, the church as being that temple, the dwelling place of God's spirit. The church is the continuing witness to God and to Christ in the world. We are to go and make disciples of all nations, and we are to testify, to be witnesses. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then there's this last one here. The church is the flock of God, the flock of God. And so here's, let me give you a little image, and hopefully you can have this image in your mind, burned into your mind. This is a, a, a picture I actually took in Israel, in the Judean wilderness of Israel. And as we were going along, traveling to, from one of the sites to the other, we, we came across uh, a shepherd and a flock of sheep. And so I thought, this is awesome. Being that it's one of the biblical metaphors of the church, I think this is, this is fantastic. So I went and took a picture, and right as I snapped the picture, I love it that the one in the middle like turns. It's like photobomb, you know, like selfie. There's always one, you know. There's always one in the flock like that. And uh, this, it, I just think it's a beautiful image of, of the church. Um, and uh, it's interesting how often the Bible references his people as sheep. And uh, Old Testament and New Testament, he references them as, as sheep. And I think it's interesting, the parable, one of the parables that Jesus tells when he's kind of separating uh, the, the righteous from the unrighteous. And he says, uh, it's like a, the king who separates the sheep onto his right and the goats onto his left. Because uh, there's goats. That's what goats do. They like wander off into the hills. You know, they're part of that flock, but they're out there wandering away doing, you know, goat things. Uh, but the sheep, uh, the sheep. I love that image of, of sheep. And sheep, in that kind of climate, in, we, we often think of sheep as like real grassy plains. Uh, this is what it looks like. This is when the, the Old Testament and New Testament is referencing pastors and a flock and taking them out to, uh, to find water and to find green pastures. Like that's it, that little bit of green there. A shepherd's got a job uh, to do. And sheep in that kind of environment, they, they, need, they need a shepherd. And so you have this image uh, in your mind that the people of God are like a flock of sheep and that the servant leaders over a church are the, the shepherds or elders. So we're going to look at what elders are. But I want to point out something that's, that's uh, maybe a little foreign uh, for some people, but it's a principle then you'll see it as we go through these these texts. Something to keep in mind. Biblically speaking, when uh, the term elder is used, it's used kind of interchangeably and synonymously with another term called overseer. Some older translations will have bishop, you know, so bishops. Uh, it's referring to the, the same thing. So elder overseer and it's also used uh, synonymously with uh, shepherding or shepherds okay and so here's a little uh here there's some greek words too if you really want to get into this and want to you know you're doing your word studies on your uh, online or something and you want to look up the greek terms the term for elder is uh presbyteros it's where we get the word presbyter or presbyterian uh, that's just the greek word for elder for an older person or an elder. Um, overseer is episkopos. You've heard of like an episcopal kind of church. That's what that word is, comes from. And it means like, you know, like episcope. It means, you know, oversee. Okay, so that's an overseer. And then poimen is the term for shepherd. And so this is something just to keep in mind as we look at a lot of these passages to see how these, these things work together. So what are elders? What, do, what are elders and what do they do? Here's, kind of, yeah, here's the Venn diagram of the different terms for each of those and how they overlap and intersect. Notice that today, the two passages we read, we looked at the, there's the overlap of all three terms are being used. So elders then are the shepherds of the people of God. They shepherd the people of God. 
We saw this in particular in the passages that that we read this morning, in particular, Acts chapter 20, verse 28. And so to show you a little bit of this overlap of these kind of terms, I want to show you how it's used in Acts chapter 28. As Paul had called the Ephesian elders, we saw that in verse 17, right? He's sailing off from uh, Miletus. Miletus is not very far from Ephesus. Paul had spent many years uh, with the church in Ephesus. And so he thought before he sails off, he wants to meet with the elders. So he calls the elders down. It's the term elder that is used there. And so he calls the elders then. And he says this in verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Okay. There's that poem, a uh, poem neon. It's related to that word shepherd. Okay. And to all of the flock in which the Holy spirit has made you overseers. See how there's the overlap of these It's calling elders says your job is to watch the flock and uh, he has made you overseers over that flock. And then he uses this to care for. I put the little dots there to kind of show you that that's actually just one Greek uh, verb. Uh, and it's the poimino. Uh, it's the to shepherd. It's related. It's the verb form of the word shepherd. So to care for, to shepherd the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in. Notice he keeps that metaphor going. Sheep, and the sheep's like arch enemy and nemesis are wolves. I know the uh, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Okay, so uh, elders shepherd the people of God. And in 1 Peter 5, we see this same thing. So I exhort you, I exhort the elders, the presbyteros, among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be re- to reveal. So his exhortation to the elders is what? To shepherd. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Again, that's one Greek word is represented there. Exercising oversight is the verb form of overseer, a verb form of episkopos. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, uh, nor uh, for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So elders shepherd the people of God. That's kind of just a big, broad picture term of what, what shepherding would include. And so let me kind of break it down into like four little categories of maybe giving a little more detail of what uh, shepherds do. Shepherds teach the faith. Shepherds teach the faith. In the qualifications in Titus chapter 1, it says he, it's referring here to an overseer, the episcopos, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. So that he is able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So it's a twofold purpose. The the main task of an elder is to hold to the word of God, to hold to the gospel. And the, the, the twofold purpose to that is to instruct or feed, if you want to use the, the shepherding analogy, to feed the flock and to rebuke those who contradict it. And we'll get to that here in a, in a second. First Timothy chapter three lists among the qualifications of an elder is an overseer must be able to teach. But what does able to teach mean? Okay, does that mean that the only people who could be elders are the dynamic communicators who love to stand up in front of large crowds and, and to speak to people? Uh, I don't think uh, that is what Paul has in mind here. Or at least what we kind of picture in our mind here. We're, we're all of the council of elders than preachers. Well, maybe, maybe in some cases, but, but in not, not all cases. 1 Timothy chapter 5 says this. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Okay, so he's describing all of the, the elders. Especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. That's first. Timothy 5.17. So here you have uh, this kind of 
there's, you have this group of elders, but then in that subset of elders, you have some who have the very special task of laboring in preaching and teaching. So all the elders must be able to teach, all must hold to the sound doctrine, all must be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. And this could be one-on-one. This could be in like a small group setting, could be in a class, okay? But some, not all, have the specific task of laboring in preaching and teaching, okay? And all of those people work together to shepherd the flock of God. While only some may have that as the primary task of preaching and teaching, um, as kind of a subset within the, the group of elders, but all of them need to be able to explain this is what the message of the gospel is. This is what the God's word would have to say about a particular issue. And so here in our bylaws, we kind of uh, delineate those two groups within the council of elders. We refer to uh, the distinction between lay elders and the uh, teaching pastors or teacher pastors, pastor teachers, okay? And uh, so that is a helpful distinction to keep in mind. Nevertheless, elders must know their Bible. They must know sound doctrine. They must know the teaching and they must be able to communicate. And so uh, that is one of the kind of the main task of the elders is to Teach the faith, to be able to teach the faith. Second, elders uh, must protect the sheep. This is, uh, you know, sheep were very valuable in those days days, and very vulnerable uh, as well. And so an essential aspect of the shepherd's job was to protect sheep from wild animals or from wolves. Jesus uh, kind of describes himself as the good shepherd and what makes him good as over, over and against the paid, uh, you know, a, a hired hand is that Jesus lays down his life for a sheep. That's what makes a good sheep. When the wolves come, you don't go, man, I'm out of here. Those, those sheep got to fend for themselves. No, 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 no. That's, that's your job. Your job is to protect the sheep. You lay your life down for the sheep. That's what makes you a good one. And so in the same way, elders are to protect the flock from wolves. Paul described these ravenous wolves are going to come in you. And what are those wolves going to come in among you? What are those wolves going to do? False teaching. So the, the shepherd needs to give instruction in sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it. Uh, we were I was sharing this several weeks ago at, at a home group one night like that. I kind of see my my essential role is to. Um, and I, I think I said it wrong the first time, so I want to be really clear because it, it's bad if you mix it up. Uh, but you feed the sheep and shoot the wolves. And I think I actually said shoot the sheep because it alliterated. Yeah, I got I know. I, th- I think I said that on accident. Freudian slip, maybe. No, to feed the sheep and shoot the wolves. That's the, that's a pastor's that's a pastor's job. That's an elder's job too. Whether they're the ones that are doing the preaching and teaching on a regular weekly basis, or they're the ones leading a class or you know, one-on-one discipling, you are feeding sheep and shooting wolves. So they are to protect the sheep. Jesus equated false teachers with wolves. He uses that metaphor often in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7. Beware of false prophets who come in you. They're like, they're wearing sheep's clothing, but inside they're ravenous wolves. Okay, ravenous wolf is false teaching. It's so often in the New Testament that it's characterized this way. God was very concerned with false teaching. He was. I sometimes get asked, but you know, in the past I used to get asked, well, Aaron, why, why do you seem like you kind of are critical of false teachers? You know, and I'm like, because like Jesus is. I don't want to be like those guys on the fringe corner of the internet that everybody's wrong. Uh, but, but we do have, when there's false ideas start working their way into the church, that's, that's my job. That's my job. Side note. Um, Paul, again, gives this warning. Verse 28 of Acts 20. The ravenous wolves are going to come in you, and they're going to 
uh, not spare the flock. And so this is what's connected to the idea of, of rebuking those who contradict the, che- the teaching. Elders uh, teach, they protect, they lead the flock too. The image that you saw there in, um, of that picture in Israel, uh, the need for the shepherd to guide and find out where green pla- edible green plants would be and to guide them where water would be for the sheep. Um, sheep are not very smart. Maybe that's another reason why God used sheep as an analogy or metaphor for, for the, the church. Um, so needed shepherds to kind of identify where they needed to go and to lead them in that way. In the same way, um, elders need to do that for the church. Set the direction for the church. Elders heal the sheep. James Five says this, if anyone among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So elders help with these lifelong issues that people will experience in their walk with God. Some marriage, births, funerals, counseling, comforting, visiting the sick, visiting the sick. Those, those sort of things. Elders heal the sheep. So elders shepherd, that's the bigger picture of what shepherding looks like. Yeah? See, that's really broad, multifaceted uh, work. So elders must shepherd the people of God, but then elders must be spiritually mature. Three places in the New Testament, they give some basic qualifications for elders. You see those uh, listed there. First Timothy chapter three is uh, is an extensive list of qualifications. Titus chapter one verses four through nine gives a list. We read some of those qualifications in First Peter five. And let me kind of go through some of these qualifications uh, for you. The first one that he lists, and if you would like to turn to First Timothy uh, three, you can. 1 Timothy chapter 3, we'll look at that one. The list overlaps a great deal with Titus 1. And so I'll reference Titus 1. Um, But he says this, an overseer, um, verse 1, it says, This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he he desires a noble task. Therefore, and because it's a noble task, um, he gives some reasons. Therefore... An overseer must be above reproach. This is kind of like the umbrella term for all of them. Consent is a summary for the rest of the list. I like this note in my uh, study Bible. There is no legitimate accusation that can be brought against an elder that would bring disrepute on the gospel or the church. His life should be seen as worthy of imitation. That's the basic overview. Is Is your life... Is this person's life seen as... That's an example of something to be imitated. This is the, what's kind of captured in this term, above reproach. So he should be above reproach. Second one is a husband of one wife. And so let me kind of... I'll spend a little bit of time on this one. Um, because there's, there's actually like five different ways of, of reading uh, this one. Um, it's In the Greek, it's literally a one-woman man. That's it. Those three words. One woman, man. And so commentators for uh, centuries and centuries have identified what does that mean? What does that what does a one woman man uh, kind of mean? Some have said that the qualification means that that elders must be married. So marriage is then a requirement. Right. So a one woman man, he's got he's got to have a woman in order to be uh, an elder. Uh, I don't think that this is the case. I mean, it's basically saying like no singles are allowed, no widows are allowed, anything like that. I don't think that's uh, the case because uh, Paul um, was not married. Paul himself was not married. He writes to the church in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He talks about them remaining as I am. He's talking to the unmarried to remain as I am. So Paul was uh, unmarried and... um, and that either means he was either never married, which is unlikely because uh, 
he was a Pharisee, and I think that was a requirement in those days for Pharisees to be to be married. Uh, so he was uh, he was uh, a Pharisee. So he was either never married, or he was uh, widowed, or the other possibility is possibly he was abandoned. There's there there are some out there who kind of make the contention because of what Paul says in lots of places that he clearly was unmarried. But we don't know why. Was, was he married? Was he widowed? Or did his wife leave him for the gospel? That's, that's speculation, but it's possible. But Paul wasn't married. So it seems strange that he would say that the qualification for an elder would be something that he himself would be disqualified uh, by. And that Jesus would be disqualified by. Jesus was not married. Uh, so I don't think that's the case. The second one is no uh, polygamists. So meaning the emphasis being one. Like you can't have multiple wives. Which would have been an issue in that day, perhaps. Uh, but I don't think it's limited to that. I think this is actually included in some of the, uh, the later ones, too. Number three is that no divorces allowed. And there's a couple of variations here that uh, some will say, well, no divorce at all. It's a, just a divorce of any kind is permanently disqualifying for the role of elder. Uh, some would say, well... Recognizing that the scripture says there are instances where divorce, Jesus said that divorces were permitted. And in remarriage was permitted in those cases. And so if that is true in those cases, then um, we would say then it would be wrongly divorced. That's, that's another view here. So that those who are divorced on legitimate grounds are not disqualified. Okay. If the marriage, if the, if the divorce in that sense was permitted and remarriage is permitted, then it, then it wouldn't be uh, disqualifying. Fourth view is uh, the uh, is not remarried, which is kind of connected with the, the other ones. So then, yes, then maybe there was a, a widow or maybe it was a, a situation of, of divorce, um, but then it would be not remarried. So if somebody was divorced or they were widowed and they remained that way, then they would be qualified um, then the other one, the last one, is just kind of recognizing uh, the broad picture of the qualifications represented here. And that is, um, the fifth view would be those who are sexually pure and faithful to their wife. Sexually pure and faithful to their wife. Which obviously would exclude polygamists. So two would be included in there. It obviously would exclude the adulterer. And it doesn't automatically exclude the single or the remarried widower uh, or, or those who were divorced, maybe divorced before their conversion or who were divorced on legitimate grounds, abandoned by, by the other spouse and those kind of things. And so uh, there's some debates here. I tend to see position five. I think that what Paul is describing here is those uh, who are does your life demonstrate the pattern of faithfulness to your wife? Loving Christ-like sacrificial service to your wife. Okay, that, that fits this overarching thing of this above reproach. Next one, sober-minded or disciplined. So it means those who are just kind of have a disciplined mind. Self-controlled. Again, this is uh, one of the fruit of the spirit is the love, joy, peace, patience and self-control. Respectable, verse two. Is this somebody that you like that we would see as like, is that person a respectable person? Hospitable. Does this person demonstrate hospitality to those in need, inviting uh, people into their homes going out and reaching out to those who, who are in need. We saw this one already, able to give, able to teach or able to give instruction in sound uh, doctrine. And as we saw, this doesn't, uh, this doesn't mean that every elder then is, needs to be a dynamic preacher. It just means somebody who holds fast to that doctrine and able to give instruction to others. Uh, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome, not arrogant or quick-tempered. Not a lover of money or greedy for gain. As it says in First Peter two, uh, chapter 5, verse 2. Not domineering. So considering those last two, it's somebody who's not in it for the money, not in it for power. 
Uh, if you're a, a Christian, you should not be into anything for money or for power. Um, but if you are, don't go into service as a shepherd over God's people. Somebody who manages his household well, cares for God's church, is God's steward, as it says in Titus. Keeping his children submissive, who are his children are believers or they're faithful. They're not insubordinate. So it doesn't mean that his children have to be picture perfect and have never needed a spanking or anything like that. But it, it doesn't mean that. But it means that uh, that his children... Uh, I see some of your parents, you know, patting your, your your children next to you. Glad you could be in here to listen. Um, um, not a recent convert. First Timothy chapter three, verse six. Well thought of by outsiders. Verse seven. A lover of good, upright, holy, set apart. And then this this other one that I'm adding in here too, bringing in what it says in verse one of chapter three in First Timothy chapter three, and then First Peter chapter five verse two is somebody who's willingly doing this. That's something that they aspire to. That they're not compelled into doing. Okay, nobody should kind of twist your arm and say yes, you should, you know, kind of um, really be an elder. And then lastly, First uh, Peter chapter five, verse three, not domineering over the years, those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. That's basically it. Just summarizing kind of the picture of all of these these criteria here. Are you an example? Is this person an example to the flock of what a faithful Christian would look like? Okay, not a perfect Christian. There's no such thing, but a faithful one. That's that's really the question. Is this person's walk with Christ worthy of being imitated by others in the church? Okay. now I want you to pay attention to this part here, because that list is long and maybe we get to a little lost. It's like overwhelming. Uh, Let me just point this out. When you see this list, this is one thing I really want you to understand, really want you to understand. Okay, these qualifications, these are not special qualifications for an elite few. Okay, it's not saying, all right, you know, there's everyday Christians and then there are the elders who are like the Navy SEALs. Okay, it's it's not it's not like that. And here's why I say that these qualifications are painting an overall picture of a mature follower of Christ. And so I'll say it this way. Every qualification, and then I, I have a little, kind of a one little caveat, except for maybe one or two exceptions, you know, just those aside. Every qualification listed here is what is expected of every growing Christian. Okay? Nearly every single one of those terms, the 17 terms listed there, nearly every single one of those terms is used to describe or called for other Christians in the New Testament to be that way. Okay? Nearly every one of these terms can be found elsewhere in the New Testament to describe what is expected for everyone who claims the name of Christ. So don't think of this as like Navy SEALs, super Christians, you know. It's not. It's saying that regular, It's because for example, then it wouldn't be like, Oh, this is the list for what elders, but that means every regular Christians would be permitted to uh, not be above reproach. Within regular Christians, then um, have no need to be sober minded, no need to lack self-control. You you get the picture, right? Regular Christians are not permitted to be disrespectful, inhospitable, to be drunkards, to be violent, to be quarrelsome, to be lovers of money, to mismanage their households, let their children be unruly, have a bad reputation with outsiders. No, all of those things are what are expected for Christians. And so these are just saying, hey, so this is who you should select as elders over your church in your care, in, in, in the care of your, uh, the people of your church. Okay. Now, it doesn't mean that every mature believer becomes an elder or needs to become an elder. Um, There are some, you know, a couple of unique things there that we keep in mind. But 
the, the elder, when you picture an elder, just pick, is that somebody like I would like to become or work toward? As a humanly perspective, is that somebody who would be an example to point to other people and say, you know, that would be an example to, to follow, for the members of your congregation to follow? And uh, next, our elders are spiritually uh, appointed. We bring this in from Acts chapter 20, when Paul says to the uh, Ephesian elders, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves, so watch yourself, and to all of the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So there's a, there's a human element where the, the people of the church look for those to uh, identify as leaders over the flock. Um, but Paul says there's a supernatural element to this too is that the Holy Spirit, you should see this demonstration and evidence of the Holy Spirit directing the process too. You saw this in Acts chapter 13. Uh, as the church was gathered together, it says, while they were worshiping the Lord, they were fasting. And the Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them and sent them off on a missionary task. He says the Holy Spirit did it. So we should be sensitive and look, listen for what the Holy Spirit would say in um, uh, selecting and appointing elders. Uh, elders must be a team. So elders must shepherd the people. Elders must be spiritually mature. Elders are spiritually appointed. And elders must be a team. Acts chapter um, 14 says this. Again, describing... Uh, their missionary work that Paul and Barnabas were on. And as they preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, this is verse 21, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples. So all of those cities, they had planted a church there. And now they're circling back, you know, sometime later and strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so a couple of points to describe there. Every church had elders. And every church had more than one elder. They're always spoken of in the plural. So there's, uh, there's a plurality, should have a plurality of elders. And lastly, so shepherd the flock, spiritually mature, spiritually appointed, uh, must be a team. And elders point people to the great shepherd, Jesus. It's really what it's all about. It's that elders are pointing people. As, as everyone in the church should, pointing people to Jesus. The Lord God in the Old Testament um, was very critical in the later parts of the Old Testament, in the prophets, very, very critical of the way in which the leaders of Israel at that time had neglected their duty in shepherding the people of Israel. The leaders of that time had allowed Israel to enter into alliances with other nations that they shouldn't have. Uh, they allowed them to enter into immoral practices. They allowed them, uh, the people to set up altars to worship other gods along with Yahweh. But, you know, we got all, let's just cover our bases. Let's worship other gods. And the leaders had kind of let that happen. And the Lord comes and he says, um, some harsh criticisms against them, against them and in defense of his people. And so a couple of places there, and I think those are in your handouts. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 34 and Ezekiel chapter 23 give some the word that God says to those shepherds and to the prophet to give to the people. And if you allow me to read a couple of these to see how this kind of sets us up with where it goes in the New Testament. Ezekiel 34, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself, notice that I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that 
have been scattered. So I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and in thick darkness. And I will bring them from uh, out from the peoples and gather them from the, the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. Do you have that picture in your mind? I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land in a rich pasture. They shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. It's amazing. In the Old Testament, the Lord says, I am going to come. They've, these guys have neglected their duties. I'm going to come and I'm going to shepherd my people. Jeremiah says, woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel concerning the shepherds who care for my people. You have scattered my flock and have driven them away and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you. <laughs> uh, attend. <laughs> yeah. You get, you get what he's saying here. You've not attended to them. I'm going to attend to you. Sounds like a parent would have said something like that, right? But I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declared the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold. And they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. So the Lord says, I'm going to come back and be shepherd over my people. And then in Jeremiah, he says, and then actually I'll appoint other shepherds to do it. Kind of under shepherds of the shepherd. This is the Lord God who says that. And what does Jesus say? Truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. And all who come in, who came before me, they were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And I will go in uh, and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and destroy and to kill. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand, cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. I lay my life down for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. And the writer of Hebrews ends with this amazing doxology. Now to the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. So elders are just under shepherds of the great shepherd. Peter calls it the chief shepherd. Okay? Jesus is the chief shepherd. Jesus is the only, quote, senior pastor. Okay? I'm not a senior pastor. Because of that reason, I, I, don't, I don't want to be called a senior uh, pastor. Jesus is the only senior pastor when I'm in my 70s, you could call me a senior pastor, right? Okay, then, then that's permittable. Um, but Jesus is the chief shepherd, and he is the master. He owns the, he owns the sheep. He owns that flock. Why? Because he bought it with his blood. Shepherd the church of God, which is under your care, which he bought. With his own blood. Elders are just under shepherds. That serve the master and lord and owner. And they do it by pointing people to the master and the owner. 
May, may this help you in your worship that, to remind ourselves that God has ordered his church in this way to care for you. Okay? Let's, let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, we give you thanks and praise that long ago you saw your people scattered, or as Jesus said, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And you promised that you yourself would come and shepherd your people. And we're grateful that in the fullness of time, Jesus Christ from Nazareth is that shepherd. We're grateful that this shepherd did lay his life down for his sheep as a sacrificial lamb. And God, we are so grateful that Jesus continues to shepherd us. We thank you, God, for this imagery of shepherds who, um, of the way you've ordered your church, that you have a, a group of men who are examples to the flock and then serve and care for that flock by pointing them to you. So God, we, we thank you for what you teach us this morning. We pray all of this in Jesus' mighty and precious and holy name and all God's people said, amen and amen. Uh, would you, uh, let's stand for a closing benediction and then we will um, give just a little short break and then we'll uh, commence with our, our um, uh, meeting today. Brothers and sisters, may the grace of our great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love that God has shown us in his son and the fellowship that we have through the Holy Spirit that indwells your people be with you as you go. Thank you. So just take a couple minutes. We'll begin in like four minutes.